When I was staying in Myanmar for the Vasa, I received an email asking me to give a talk when I come back. And of course at that time I was in a meditation mood, so a talk on meditation was just naturally the subject what was in mind. At that time I was also still trying to understand what is the right practice, what is wrong practice, what makes meditation something that works for me and, and what doesn't. So the idea came to me to talk about right meditation and wrong meditation. Because that's also a subject that comes up often during our interviews with the teacher. So now what I'm going to talk about, although I decided on right meditation and wrong meditation, I realized later as I was thinking through this topic that I need to add one more. So the topic is wrong meditation, good meditation, and right meditation. Why do you meditate? Now you don't have to answer here because it's a big crowd, right? Just think, why do you meditate? Why do you want to meditate? Even if you've not done it before, you've not tried, but you're considering it, there's also a reason why you want to do things. People don't do things for nothing. There's a reason behind. So why do you meditate or why do you want to meditate? Hold this answer in your mind. Right as you listen to this talk, and you see whether that would lead you to wrong meditation, good meditation, or right meditation. Then you can decide later which one you want. Right, why do I call wrong meditation? What do I mean by wrong meditation? By wrong meditation, I refer to a kind of meditation that causes you more dukkha, more suffering, more stress. When I mention this idea of wrong meditation to someone, she said, got such thing as wrong meditation one ah? I said, God, <laughs> the kind that causes more dukkha for you, more stress, more suffering for you. I'll explain to you why later. Then what is good meditation then? Well, good meditation doesn't cause more suffering to you. In fact, it does reduce your suffering, but only temporarily. In other words, it suspends dukkha. And after that, you're back to square one. And that kind of dukkha that you can suspend is only the gross kind too, not the subtle ones. What this kind of meditation brings you is peacefulness. Then there is the right meditation. This is the kind of meditation that ends dukkha not to suspend it, it ends it. The purpose of this meditation is freedom. Now, let me move back to the good meditation. What we call this kind of good meditation where it brings about peacefulness is what we now generally call samatha meditation. What we generally call it. Or some people call it concentration meditation. But I think the word, from my understanding of the early Buddhist text, the word samatha has been misused these days, but I'm not going to go into that topic. But generally, this is what the word that we use for this kind of meditation, we call it samatha. Although in the early text it means more like settling, which is also a necessary ingredient in right meditation. Now, right meditation is not about just wanting to calm along the mind, get some peace. It's not trying to manipulate the mind to calm down. Rather, it is a practice of awareness. Acknowledging things as they are. Whatever happens, you acknowledge. Okay, this is happening. If there is a resistance towards that, okay, this is happening too. It is an acknowledgement of what happens. Seeing things as they are. Things are as they are. Whether you like it, you don't like it, things are as they are, so the wise thing to do is to acknowledge it. Yes, it is like that. Two days back, I was conducting a short session over here, and some people actually got it. They got the idea. Whatever happens, is okay. And so certain unpleasant things happen, and they remind themselves, this is okay. And just see it as it is. And what happens in this situation is, it saves you from a lot of suffering. A lot of suffering. Isn't it? If things are happening just like that, let's say you go for a job interview and you got rejected. And so, 
So it is. This happened. But the mind goes in and saying, no, why did it that? Oh, let's start starting off. Oh, means I'm no good. I'll never get a job. What happens? A lot of suffering, isn't it? But if the mind recognizes, oh, they didn't want me. They didn't want me to work there. Okay, that's good. Why do I want to work in a place where people don't want me? <laughs> so, it is as it is. Okay, so I go look for another job. Look for a job elsewhere. So that saves you from a lot of suffering. Now I'm talking about a gross situation, and it could be something more subtle as well. It could be an argument that you just had. Okay, stupid me, just now I got into this argument. What happened, happened. So you don't have this, what my teacher would call extra suffering. That's it. When the mind recognizes, okay, that's it. Things are as they are. And you may notice the mind reacting to this in a particular way. It still wants, it still rejects, it still whatever. Okay, if you recognize that, oh, okay, this is as it is. And what I mentioned about, it saves you from a lot of suffering. That's the freedom. If you really, really can do this, you recognize that how relieved you are by being able to recognize things as they are. How much suffering you can save yourself. So this kind of practice is based on wisdom. It is firmly based on wisdom. To see things as they are, that is wisdom. And it is not just part of the Noble Eightfold Path. If you have learned about Noble Eightfold Path, normally we think of it as just the last three parts. You know, right effort, right sati, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And I prefer another word to concentration. I prefer right composure. We only think of these three parts. But actually, the proper practice of meditation should cover the whole thing. And it starts off from right understanding or right view. If you don't have that right view and go straight to this, you're going in with wrong views and suddenly it will go wrong. The right noble eightfold path actually starts with right understanding and it goes right to the end of right samadhi or right composure and it leads to two more, two more rights. Yeah? The noble eightfold path leads to two more rights, that is right knowing and seeing and right liberation. There is also another Eightfold Path, which is not the noble one. I don't know what the Buddha called it. Maybe you can call it the ignoble Eightfold Path. <laughs> it starts off from wrong understanding, and it leads to wrong knowing and seeing. You see and know things wrongly, and it leads to wrong liberation. I wonder what that means, yeah? I haven't found in anywhere in the Sutta where it explains what is wrong liberation. But I'm thinking that it could mean many things. One possibility is a person goes gila, and he takes off the clothes and uh, run about, ha, ha, ha. That's a kind of liberation, isn't it? Some people think that these people are very happy. <laughs> also, sometimes some people may think they have gotten something in their practice, and they think this is it. They think they are liberated, but they are not. And this knowing and seeing that I spoke about is about direct seeing. It's a different from right understanding or right view. Right understanding, right view, that's just theory. We need the theory. We need to have that kind of information first. But once we have seen things for ourselves, what we have is right knowing and right seeing. It is direct. You don't need anybody to tell you anymore. You don't even need to tell yourself because it is plainly so. Things are as they are. And when you react in a particular way, you create more suffering. It is plainly so. You can see it for yourself very, very clearly. Just as clear as you would touch something that's hot. Nobody can tell you, you don't even have to tell yourself that it is hot. Now let me go back to the right understanding. What is right understanding? The right understanding in the Noble Eightfold Path is the Four Noble Truths. First thing is there is Dukkha and it tells you what is Dukkha. The Buddha didn't say that life is Dukkha, life is suffering. No, it says tells you that there is and what is suffering. And then it tells you the cause of it. Then he tells you that there is a cessation of it and a path leading to its cessation. And this is not just all. I've been here and I've explained before that the first 
noble truth of dukkha is to be fully understood. We want to understand pain or suffering or stress. We want to understand that. We don't practice to run away from it. If we are practicing to run away from suffering, this is not right meditation. This is an important point. A lot of people suffer a lot and they want to run away from it. And when they come to meditation, they think, ah, this is a way to run away from my suffering. When you practice meditation with that attitude, naturally your meditation will go in that direction. And whether or not you actually get to run away from it is another thing. But you don't get to understand and therefore you don't get to be free. At most you just go around in circles. So it is important, this part about understanding suffering. The part that you want to be free from is the second part, the cause of suffering. That's what you want to abandon. So understanding suffering would include understanding what creates suffering. I'm not going to go into details for this talk, giving a general idea. Then the third one, the cessation of suffering, this is the thing to be attained, to be achieved. And the last one, this is the thing to practice, to develop. Now while right meditation is based on wisdom, wrong meditation is based on craving. Let me repeat, while right meditation is based on wisdom, right understanding, wrong meditation is not based on that, it is based on craving, it is based on wanting. Wanting what? Wanting to get something? When I sit down, I want to get peacefulness. I want to get calmness. And some people say, I want to get bliss. Or some people say, I want to be able to see lights. Yeah? And some people maybe have stranger ideas. They want something. So when you meditate with that wanting, that's a craving-based meditation. Or it could be craving to get rid of something. I don't want to feel this pain. I don't want to feel this. I want to meditate in order to get rid of it. That's another kind of craving. Which is a craving that a lot of people come to meditation for. But these two cravings can be happening at the same time. You have a lot of suffering and in order to not feel this, you look for something else to kind of like cover it up. Hmm? So this kind of meditation is based on wrong understanding. It does not understand what meditation is for. At least the Buddhist kind of meditation doesn't understand. And this can only lead to wrong liberation at most. And when we want something, we crave for something, what do we do? If we want something very much, what do we do? We meditate with the idea that I want to get something. What do you do? You try very hard, right? If you want something, you want money, you try very hard to get it, right? If you like somebody, you try very hard to get that person, right? And if you sit down meditating and you want to get something, is the mind peaceful? <laughs> it's not peaceful, isn't it? It wants something. And when the mind is not peaceful, meaning to say it's not relaxed, and also it means that it's not balanced, it tries to focus very hard perhaps for some people, because maybe that has to do with the instruction as well. Try to focus very hard. It perhaps because of some ideas that they have about meditation. They think that if they focus hard enough, they can penetrate through something and then see something else. When they meditate like this laser light, hoping that one day, boom, you will go through. <laughs> something like that. Different people have different ideas, uh, strange ideas about meditation. So based on their ideas, they would try very, very hard to achieve that. And whenever you have that kind of attitude, certainly you're going to push. You're going to, as Hokkien people say, pia. Hokkien people say, I pia jai yama. So you sit down and pia, pia, pia. What happens if you do that? What happens when you try very, very hard? You push, push, push. You get a lot of stress. You tense up. And eventually you get very tired. So that some people think, wow, you're going to Myanmar for three months. Ah. Well, I cannot tahan. Oh. Actually, it should be the opposite. If you go for a longer retreat, it should become more relaxed 
and more energized. If you think that meditation is going to cause you to become tired, obviously you've got meditation wrong. Perhaps for some people in the beginning, they struggle a little bit. But that is only because of their wrong attitude too, that they need to struggle. They want to get something, they want to get it right, they want to get things done quickly. That's also the wrong attitude. When you have that wrong attitude, you also try to manipulate your mind. You want to manipulate things. You want things to be in this way and that way. If you have a certain experience, no, I don't want this experience, I want it to be like this, not like that. So it is completely not about seeing things as they are. Completely off tangent. In fact, it's opposite direction. You want your experience, you want this kind of experience. Okay, no. I'm having sleepiness. No, no, this shouldn't be happening. I don't want sleepiness. Or you have a lot of thoughts. No, 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 thoughts shouldn't be happening. Stop, stop. Or you're meditating and this song keeps playing in your head. <laughs> and you want it to stop. When I was in the retreat, there was an American who was actually teaching in MU. And I found that actually he teaches music. So when he was leaving, so when you sit, do you get a lot of music in your head and say, all the time? <laughs> but he has learned, he has learned to remind himself that it's okay. Sometimes he wish he could just take it and throw it out, but he couldn't, it just goes on. So if that attitude is there, what he needs to do is to watch that resistance, that dislike. That this is happening and it's okay. And if he does not get that right attitude, he's going to suffer <laughs> while he's having a meditation retreat. So this is the immediate result of a wrong effort. You will notice that quite easily you become tense, you become stressed, you become tired. If you notice this happening, you can be absolutely sure that your meditation is not the right kind. So the best thing for you to do at that time, well, What's true for me at least, it's up to you what you want to do. The best thing for me to do at that time is stop. Just stop. It's just like if you're driving a car and you're heading towards the wrong direction. The best thing for you to do is not keep going on and hoping that you're on the right direction. First thing to do is stop and say, wait, wait. Let me get my coordinates right, which is the right place, which is the right direction. Because if you continue, it's going just going further and further in the wrong direction. So the best thing for you to do is just stop, stop. In the uh, retreat, there was quite a number of people who have been practicing this wrong way for a long time and it becomes a habit. Even if they got the right information, habit is so strong, they'll still continue the wrong way. Once the body is in this position, the habit comes in immediately. The mental association is so subtle and so quick. And eventually they notice, oh, getting more and more tight, <laughs> you know, tighter and tighter in the head. So the teacher will say, okay, stop, stop, stop. Okay, because of these wrong ideas, you can't help it, right? So you try to cheat the mind. Like, what do you mean by cheat the mind? Tell your mind, I'm not meditating. <laughs> I'm not meditating. So, but then difficult, like, once you sit like that, the mind will think you're meditating, yeah? Just like if you lie down, you'll think, oh, we're going to sleep. Once you sit like that, so say, don't sit like that. Or you can sit like this. <laughs> but you already know that you practice awareness. So you can sit like this and be aware. You're aware of how the body feels. You're aware of the seeing. You're aware of hearing. You're aware of what the mind is doing. You're still meditating. The body doesn't have to be in a particular posture. It can be like this, or you can be resting your back against the wall. You can be sitting on a chair. It doesn't have to be in this kind of position. And certainly, it doesn't have to be in full lotus posture. It can be any posture. As my teacher would say, meditation is not body work. It's mind work. So you can relax your body. <laughs> your body doesn't have to work hard. So relax. Save your energy. So once you kind of like get to trick the mind, cheat the mind, then because of that wrong ideas about meditation and because you can bypass that and you get the right ones, then eventually you can sit back like this and you're okay. And you don't even have to sit like this.
Now the good meditation, it is not done in a forceful way. This is I'm talking about the kind of practice where it brings about peacefulness. It is done in a relaxed, balanced and persistent way. But the persistence for this one is different from the persistence for right meditation. The persistence for good meditation is simply bringing the mind to a particular object persistently. It goes off, it's okay, you bring it back. On and on and on and on and on, persistent. Until it sticks. And when it sticks because the mind is fully occupied with this object, it's not thinking and therefore you have this peaceful feeling. And the immediate result of that would be of course relaxation and pleasantness, a lot of pleasantness. And you also feel energized because you're not wasting your energy with a lot of thinking. Now the right kind of meditation is also relaxed, balanced and persistent, but the persistency is different. The persistency is to be directly aware of nature as it is. The physical sensation, this is just nature. Colors entering your eyes and there is this seeing, sounds happening in the air, right? And just this hearing. This is nature. Mind that is doing its job, thinking, visualizing, imagining, thinking. This is also its nature. It is nature too. We have six sense jaws and they keep happening. That's always happening. Sometimes they're more subtle, sometimes gross, but they're happening. And if you can recognize, you regard all these things not as disturbances, but just things that are happening, their nature, you don't have a problem. If you regard any of these things as a problem, then a problem comes up. Not because of that thing, but because you think it's a problem. When I first got there, meditation center. The meditation hall at that time, they were laying towels at the side of the hall. If you know when people lay towels, they need to cut the towels and you can hear the sound go <laughs> right? And you see in the hall, nobody makes a fuss of it. Maybe some of them are a bit disturbed, right? particularly the new ones, but sound is just sound. And the teacher will say, well, this actually is helping you to meditate. It's giving you some stimulation so you don't fall asleep. <laughs> it's true. This is another thing that's happening. And if you have irritation coming up, well, that's also helping you to meditate. You get to recognize, oh, this is happening. There's a reaction to the sound. Hmm, why? Because there's a kind of suffering, isn't it? So you want to understand the suffering, isn't it? So it's helping you to meditate, isn't it? So it's not a problem. It's not a problem. So the right kind of meditation does not see things as problems. You just notice that this is just experiences and it just recognizes them. So whether things are regarded as pleasant or unpleasant or neither, it's okay. It's okay. Perfectly okay. What becomes a problem is when, when we don't recognize things as they are. Even if you have a lot of anger in you, if something happens, the thought comes out, I'm going to kill that person. If you don't know what is happening, of course, then that's kind of a problem. But if you know, okay, so there's anger in the mind. If you can recognize that there is anger in the mind, according to the early text, the sutta says, that is right view. You have right view. But if there's anger in the mind and you say, no, I'm not angry. That's wrong view. So that recognizing, that's wisdom. So it's okay to have anger in the mind. It's okay. We are still normal human beings. We're supposed to have anger in the mind. It's supposed to happen when conditions are there for it to happen. It's supposed to happen. So our job is not to try to push it away. Our job is to recognize it. Yep, it's there. And if you can, you can find out what is it about. See, oh, what is anger? Make it the subject of your study. What is anger? That's your job. And you can also look into why this anger comes up. Why? Any anger happening now? Right on time, isn't it? <laughs> so, that is also helping us to meditate. Yeah. <laughs> 
when the mind has that right attitude, it's okay. It's happening. It's okay. That happening is also okay. But of course, you don't try to use this as a mantra to try to get rid of your unpleasant resistance right, towards things. But to recognize, okay, yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that is a mind that is interested, that is open, interested to understand things. And because the mind understands, wisdom grows. And when wisdom grows, when he can really, really understand things very, very correctly, very, very thoroughly, something magical happens. The defilement, the anger, whatever that you earlier think so badly about, it just, just disappears. Wisdom is like this sword that just has no problem. Effortlessly just slays the defilement. When we don't get the right ideas, what we tend to do is this. When there is anger, we try to get rid of it. No, I'm not supposed to be angry, you know. I'm supposed to be Buddhist. I'm not supposed to be angry. I'm supposed to be a meditator. I should not be angry. So at that time, there is the anger and there is the anger towards the anger. So you got two. Yeah? And you have these two angers fighting in your mind. Ding dong, ding dong. And it's war in your mind, you know. And whichever anger wins, still anger wins. <laughs> so this fellow is suffering <laughs> in the state of war. So if you understand this, you step back. And you notice that this is happening. And you see that it has to happen because conditions are there for them to happen. And it's okay. And it's very strange if you can do that. You notice that, wow. The mind is suffering, but I am not suffering. I'm not suffering because I'm not identified with the mind. I don't see the mind as me. So the mind is suffering, it, but I'm not suffering. <laughs> Even although this is suffering is still happening, there is already a sense of freedom. When you can see that, it's amazing. It's amazing that, wow, suffering can happen and I'm okay. <laughs> this is right meditation. It's about freedom. But of course, this is not all. And you continue, and you take this as something for you to understand. It is not a problem. Now, what happens when we practice wrong meditation? What happens when we practice wrong meditation? I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of forceful effort and things like that. And besides that effort to want to get things, it also clings. It clings a lot. What does it cling to? Wrong meditation has to do with a lot of fixing. You sit down, you want to fix your posture, don't move. You want to fix the time that you meditate, you must sit for half an hour, must sit for one hour, must sit, I must, 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 must. Some people also try to fix the object, I must pay attention to this one. I don't care, I must pay attention until it disappears. So that's a clinging. And if you really watch that attitude, it's actually quite violent. If you look at the Noble Eightfold Path, the second path factor is right motivations. A lot of people translate it as right thought, but I think right motivation is more accurate. Dhamma The last one is non-violence. When we meditate with a lot of forceful effort, try to get rid of something, try to force the mind to be in a particular way, that is violence. That's very violent. The opposite of that is non-violence, which is gentleness. So when you meditate, are you gentle? But you can't be gentle if you already have those cravings and those clingings there. It has to be violent. <laughs> so check, check. Meditation has to be a lot of checking, checking. How am I meditating? What is the attitude in the mind at the moment? Checking, checking, checking. Because if you don't check this fellow who is meditating, you don't know what he's doing, then he's going to do all the wrong things. So you need to check, check, check. Some people also think that they must concentrate. Don't think. Just concentrate on this one. Don't think. I used to do that. <laughs> Very stressful. Well, although the instruction was, thinking happened, you're not thinking, thinking. But then, when i not thinking, thinking, there is an agenda behind it. I know you go away. Huh? I want this thinking to go away, to get rid of it. That is also not seeing things as they are of the mind fixed on something and you want it to be there, you don't want the mind to pay attention to anything else, it grabs on that object. That's also quite violent. 
So this leads to a lot of suppression, a lot of tightening. And you suppress your thinking as well, of course. You don't want the mind to think. You probably have already noticed that in the past that when you think about something, you suffer. So at that time, you notice, oh, when I think about this, I suffer. So what do I do? In order to not suffer, I try to stop myself from thinking. But actually, that's not the complete view. Thinking is not a problem. It only becomes a problem when you believe this thinking. You see it as real. You get involved with it, you get lost in it. Then, because of that delusion, then it becomes a problem. If you notice thinking happening and you don't believe it, it's okay. During the retreat that I had, this one time, one Chinese yogi came to me at night. There are some people from China as well. And she said, Oh, Sifu, somebody I know, one of the yogis from another place, she was screaming at her room. And then when we went to her room and saw her, her hand was swollen on one side. Apparently she whacked her hand against something hard and it has swollen. And she said she wants to kill herself. Hmm. Actually people, very rarely, there are people who actually kill themselves in a meditation center. I hope you don't know one of them. <laughs> very, very rarely. But it happens because a lot of people who go to these places, actually they have a lot of suffering. Some of these people, a lot of suffering. So they go there in order to relieve themselves, but then they just couldn't get themselves and they fight and fight and fight. They didn't get the right way. So sometimes it happens. So far in that center, I've not heard of anybody killing themselves yet. <laughs> right? Although there were people who died, maybe too old or whatever, some other reasons. I know in some meditation centers in Malaysia, there were people who have died there before, but I'm not telling you where. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, she told me about this and when I re remember so, so clearly when she told me, that time my mind was just listening and she said she wanted to kill herself. For one split second, the mind believed in that story and I noticed when it believed, the feelings changed from kind of a neutral state, it turned unpleasant, you know. And right that moment, the mind stepped back. It's like as if this, if you were to touch something that's very, very hot, immediately the hand will pull off, right? You don't have to think that, oh, this is hot now, then you pull off, right? <laughs> you take your hand off, then you think about it, oh, it was very hot, right? At the moment, no time to think. You just know that this is dangerous or something like that, and you pull off. So it was very, very similar. Once it backs off, and okay again. <laughs> and then I listen now, okay. So let's see what we can do. Let's just follow her to her place. And I call her out from the block because I've spoken to her before she trusts me. So she was willing to come out and we talk about maybe 10 minutes. At first I asked her, do you still have the desire to kill yourself? Say yes. Okay. Fine. <laughs> it was perfectly fine. Then okay, talk further and after a bit of counseling and also ask her to watch her body. At that time it wasn't the right time to watch her mind. Watch the body. Let's check whether it's tense. Let's keep watching. So later, the body calm down, then the mind calm down. I say, so now, is there still a desire to kill yourself? You say, no. Oh, okay. Well, I suppose that's not the right time to talk further. She's very tired because she has basically screamed and banged herself, banged her hand against something hard. And also, there was one Chinese nun who tried to talk her out of it. She said, she talked for half an hour and nothing happened. <laughs> And in fact, that person got really fed up with her and said, I might as well just kill myself. Lah. <laughs> so, because I wasn't involved with the story, just listening, right? wasn't involved. So it naturally, it was able to be calm. It's not like trying to calm myself down. Now, trying to calm yourself down means you're not calm. Otherwise, there's no need to try, right? <laughs> so just listening, okay. So after that, it seems like that's the best to do already because that was already late. I said, okay, I think you better go back and take a rest. Lah. And the Chinese nun who was there, she was a bit worried. Ah, that's all, man. <laughs> Shouldn't somebody be watching over her? <laughs> and things like that. Well, I thought mm, that's the best we could do at the moment. Even she kills herself, so what to do? <laughs> that was the attitude. So, talk to you tomorrow. She said, okay. All right. That's it. Go back. I went back to sleep as well. <laughs> It was a little bit of worry, but then I just noticed that hmm, it's not necessary, then I fall asleep. So that involvement, so long as you don't get involved with your thoughts, it's okay.
you just notice this thinking. It's just like there's hearing, there's seeing, and just notice that there's hearing, there's, there's seeing, there's this feeling of the body, what is sensed. You don't get involved with it. It's okay. It's all right for thinking to happen. You don't have to suppress thinking in meditation. But that doesn't mean that having a lot of thoughts is something that's useful to you. There are useful thoughts and there are thoughts that are not useful. In the right meditation, when the mind becomes calm, there is a lot of composure. The mind just has nothing to think about. There's no reason to think. So it just stays there and it's just peaceful. It just recognizes things as they are. So remember, meditation is not about suppressing. Definitely not about suppressing thoughts and also not emotions. It is recognizing them as they are. And see how it works. See how it works. If you have a lot of issues with you and you want to be free from it, you need to see how things work in your mind. But you can only look at your issues, your problems, only when you're ready for it. So what you want to do is to cultivate a lot of awareness and so that the mind is also stable, there is also wisdom, it's backed by wisdom. Then when you watch these things, these thoughts, these emotions, you have a good foundation. And because you can see them very clearly, it can be resolved. If you don't want to see them in the first place, try to avoid them, try to suppress them, then it cannot be resolved. Suffering has to be fully understood. Okay? For good meditation, there is also a kind of suppression. Although this kind of suppression is not direct, it's indirect. You don't try to push it down, but it is a suppression that is done by focusing on something else. You try to make the mind stay on a particular object persistently, on and on and on and on. And because you're not thinking about those stuff, then naturally these things are suppressed. Because the mind is so occupied in this. This kind of meditation, when you are done with it, the suppression is off, this comes back. Or sometimes you're not even ready to end your meditation yet, something comes and disturbs you. What can happen is, what? Okay, I'll tell you a story. Long time ago when I was a young monk, I just became a monk in Subangjaya. There was a lady who came to practice meditation and she's one of those who can just get into very still states in a short time. One of those people. Usually these are women. Men don't get to do this very easily. Women, they can do that more easily. Generally speaking, so far I've seen they are usually women. So she loved being in those, that state of mind. She loved it. So every day she would be very diligently practicing on her own at home. She would sit down and just get into this state of bliss. Ah, oh, very nice. Then one day, when she was enjoying her bliss, BAM! Somebody slammed the door. She got up, found out it was her daughter, and scolded her daughter really, really badly. And then suddenly she woke up. Wait, what am I doing? What have I turned into? What am I doing? I'm supposed to be a meditator, I'm supposed to be, you know, have a very peaceful state of mind. What am I doing now? And that really shocked her. It really, really shocked her. In fact, after that I never saw her again. After she told me the story, she dared not meditate again. She thought it because it was something wrong with the meditation that has made her that way. I've never seen her anymore. I don't know whether she's still meditating now. I just didn't see her after that. She was so shocked. So when she told me this story, for me it's very obvious why that happened. What do you think? Why that happened? Hmm? Why did she get so angry? Attachment, yeah. She was attached to that blissful state. She was clinging to it. So it's good meditation, it's not necessarily right meditation. She was clinging to it. Ah, oh, peaceful. Then suddenly, boom, it's gone. And the idea is, somebody took away my peacefulness. Somebody deprived me of my peacefulness. Now, who in the world is that person? Find out. So, this is still not right meditation. Hmm? So, in this kind of meditation, the clinging is still there. Although, when you are having that peaceful state, this clinging is subtle, so you don't notice it because you're not paying attention to the clinging. You're paying attention to what you want to pay attention to. Clinging is happening in the back. It's subtle, but it's actually it's very strong. It's subtle as in you don't notice it, but it's actually it's very strong. 
Now what is right meditation then in terms of clinging? In terms of clinging, right meditation, unders, is about undoing the clinging. Do you have clingings? <laughs> yeah? What happens when you cling? Tense? And if you continue to cling? Is it tiring? Yeah? If you have been watchful, you'll notice that it is tiring. It's very tiring. Just consider, what if one day you can just not cling? What if one day the mind just doesn't cling? What would happen? Free. Hmm. So that is freedom. That is what right meditation is about, is to undo. And when it can undo, the immediate result would be further relaxation, further sense of energy. The good meditation, it would bring about relaxation and you feel energized. The right kind of meditation, that doesn't happen so quickly. It doesn't happen so quickly. It's more about building the foundation first. But when the undoing of clinging happens, and that can only happen if there is understanding. The mind understands, then it lets go. When that happens, it is very profound. And it's long-lasting. It's not like the good meditation where it's just a temporary thing. After that, then you're back to your same old self. It is profound because of understanding. It is something that is very, very stable. The stability that comes out of right understanding is so much more profound than the stability that comes out of just focusing on something persistently so that you don't think. It is two very different kinds of stability. So when it comes to thinking in right meditation, it is not about suppressing, it's about recognizing thinking. And in fact, you would want to use thinking. You would want to use your ability to think how to practice correctly. In the past, I tend to depend a lot on the teacher. Wait, tell me what to do. I'm supposed to come in here and I pretend to be a slow. I don't know anything. You tell me what to do. Right? So there's a lot of relying on the teacher. But later on when I practice with this teacher, Seattle teacher here in Burma, he teaches me to think for myself. If I have a question, sometimes I go to him, when I'm meditating, uh, this question pop up in my mind, hmm, why, how come this happened? So I go to him, hey, Siado, this thing happened, this happened, why? Uh? And you know what he does? He tells me, yeah, why? Uh? <laughs> he asks me back. And then I think about it, um, because of this, this, this. Say, right. Or if he thinks it's not right, then he explains. Yeah? So he asked me back, right. A lot of time when I give the answer, he says, right. Okay, so after a few rounds of this, next time when some question arose in my mind and I want to ask the teacher, and then another thought comes up, wait, wait a minute. If I ask him why, he's going to ask me why again. <laughs> so I might as well ask myself now. <laughs> so this mind is trained to think for itself, which is better. Like Ajahn Chah would say also that we all have to be our own teacher. We all have to be our own teacher. Actually, the answers are all within us. The best the teacher could do is to guide you to see, to understand. But actually, the answers are all there already. Just that we don't know how to look, how to understand yet. So after he has given you this basic understanding, basic principle, you have to do your job, yourself. Kind of just depending on the teacher. The teacher has done his part. Okay, you, you go and do it, you're watching. If you have difficulty, you have problems, you can't solve, of course you can go to the teacher. And the teacher guides you further, but you still got to do the work yourself. And sometimes the teacher would really deliberately reluctant to answer your question. <laughs> the Chinese yogi who told me about that lady who wanted to kill herself, or rather said that she wanted to kill herself, she actually didn't really want to kill herself, uh, the way I look at it. She was practicing and then she said, Oh, so in this situation, we should ask questions? The teacher said, Yes. So what questions should I ask myself? The teacher didn't want to say. You use your own wisdom, you figure it yourself. Otherwise, if you keep going to the teacher, Hey, what to do this? Huh? What question do I ask? Huh? And it goes on and on. So the teacher wants her to be more self-reliant. 
he could tell that this person is very dependent. So what do I mean by using right thinking? How to use thinking? Ask questions. We can ask questions to remind ourselves. Like for example, am I aware? As you're sitting there right now, you can ask yourself, am I aware? How does the body feel right now? How does the mind feel right now? When you ask this question, the mind is directed to pay attention. Something is happening, some emotions arising. Or you can ask questions like, hmm, so why? The cause for that to happen is already there, so when you ask the question why, it's just expanding the awareness to cover the cause as well. Otherwise, you only notice this thing. So asking why expands the scope of awareness. You can see more things and you can see how things relate to each other. You can see the cause and effects of things, which is not possible in what we call the good meditation. It's only possible in the right meditation to see the cause and effects of things. So cause and effect, it can only be seen if you are not just paying attention to one thing. You are looking at a range of things. So by asking that question, you stir up wisdom. This is necessary. But of course, this stirring up of wisdom is no longer necessary when the practice has gained momentum. Wisdom is already happening on its own. It's already going on. So you don't need to keep on stirring anymore. So now having explained these three kinds of meditation, which one would you rather practice? How many want to practice wrong meditation? That's the suffering one. Although occasionally I find myself going back to that one. <laughs> but recognizing it just brings me out. How many of you want to practice good meditation which brings you a lot of peace and calm? Or would you rather the right meditation which ends freedom? You also want that. You want both. Okay, good. <laughs> Very greedy. <laughs> you can switch between number two and number three. You can. Sometimes it may be necessary to go to number two for a while. Sometimes. It's just too many things to handle at the same time. You want to let the mind come down quickly. Okay, but eventually, if you want freedom, you have to go to number three. You have to go to right meditation. If freedom is what you want. Okay. All right, so now let's uh, you can ask yourself, you can just check, how does the body feel right now? Am I aware? The important thing is not what you're paying attention to. The important thing that is that you're aware. You're acknowledging. That's the important part. And as we continue to practice like that, this habit of acknowledging things as they are, it grows. It becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. Just that, and you don't have to be sitting. You could be walking and you could ask yourself the same questions. You could be eating and you could ask yourself the same questions. You could be listening to somebody talking and still the same. You could be the toilet. You could be bathing. You could be driving. And it's always a good idea to be aware when you're driving. So as you're listening to me right now, you can check. And it's not difficult to be aware. It's actually very, very easy. The hard part is remembering to. So, but still, you've got to start somewhere and you keep trying. You keep doing and doing and doing and the old habits are very strong but you just keep doing and eventually the good habit becomes stronger and stronger, replacing the old habit. Okay, any questions? One thing, my question is pleasant and unpleasant feeling. You still have to accept it. Is it a right meditation? Well, you don't have to accept it, but not accepting it is suffering. <laughs> you don't have to accept it. Sometimes we have these things and you tell us, I should accept it, I must accept it. But then you cannot accept, you know. Then now you cannot accept that you cannot accept. Now you've got two non-acceptance going on there. <laughs> so what I would tell people is not to try to accept rather, but to acknowledge. Yes, there is this unpleasantness. And if there is non-acceptance, yes, there is non-acceptance. You acknowledge that as well. Then acceptance happens naturally. And not trying to accept. Of course, sometimes you can tell yourself, okay, just accept. And that helps you a little bit, yes. But to truly have the acceptance, it's not done by trying. It's done by acknowledging things as they are. 
then he don't have a problem with it. <laughs> yeah. Then you continue to watch. Say so. Why? Why is there resistance? Pante, when we are sitting down doing the meditation, sometimes we notice this unpleasant feeling arises. But sometimes you don't even know why what this unpleasant feeling is. is. You can't really pinpoint, but actually you know. In this situation, probably mm. I can't do anything. I will just take note that is mm. an unpleasant feeling. Right. But if I continue to watch and somehow I manage to detect that oh, actually I have this unpleasant feeling because. Let's say example, I say, oh, I want praise, but I didn't get it. That's why I'm happy. Mm. But when you go further down to another stage, because at that point of time, you also want to understand why this feeling arises. So when you start asking why, the problem is that many of the time you end up in a situation that storyline starts coming up because yes. you are asking why and you go back to okay okay this. okay i get your question you get a question all right it's a very good question there are two ways of asking why one is asking why when you're in the story involved with the story and the why is not very purely just wanting to know the cause and effect of things there is some emotions attached to it there's some desire attached to it. It is not pure. If you ask why outside of the story, you just throwing this question in why and you observe, it's a different thing. If you are in it trying to look for answers in the story, yes, you get involved in the storyline. And it goes and it goes on and on and on and on. And more suffering. Yes. So the why needs to be asked only you're fairly stable. When you are still very agitated, very emotionally involved with it, don't ask why yet. Not the time to investigate. It's not the time to investigate. Can you acknowledge that which is happening first? First acknowledge. My teacher would say, don't try to go and watch and definitely not try to investigate. First thing is to check, do you have the right attitude? Are you taking this as a natural phenomena or are you taking this personally? Do you take this unpleasant feeling to be me? I'm feeling unhappy. Or are you taking unpleasant feeling as unpleasant feeling? This is a very, very important distinction. Because if you take that I'm feeling very unhappy, why I'm feeling so unhappy, you are entangled in the storyline. And therefore, it goes on and on. It just weaves more stories. So, if you notice that you're involved, you need to acknowledge it first. So, this is, there's this emotion going on and all that. Okay. When you acknowledge, you already step out of it. Okay. Then when this comes down, it's easy to come down when you step out of it. Then, when it's not so strong, then you ask why. I continue that within that anywhere during the meditation what I consider to be meditation is not when you sit down with your eyes closed meditation is anytime anywhere right then that is real meditation sitting down is useful for the mind to settle down more and it can see into things that maybe you don't get to see easily when you're busy doing other things yes but real meditation has to be done at any time anywhere so don't try to investigate when your mind is still agitated. It's not the time. Dante, recently I've uh, been very busy. Right. So one night I had a lot of problems sleeping in that. A lot of plans, a lot of strategies and all that was going through my mind. So 1 a.m., 2 a.m. <laughs> I was just trying to look at the thoughts, but basically it was overwhelming. Lah. So I was getting more agitated. So I decided to get up and wash my breath. Yes. As a way to calm down. Calm down. Mm. So of course, when I first started, I get into all the thoughts and then I brought my attention back to the breath. And I don't know how long it took, but after a while, I could wash the breath very clearly. 
And what happened was when the mind went to thinking, the awareness that the mind had gone to the thinking was very clear because the clarity of the breath became weaker. Mm-hmm. So I brought the mind back to the breath. But what happened was after a while, got to the stage where I sort of knew that this is a good time to go to sleep. Or this is a good time to actually do some investigation. Oh, when you want to sleep? Wait, to sleep no, or investigate? Well, yeah, because actually the mind was calm and clear. Okay. So it's sort of like, okay, I can go to sleep now or I can investigate. Oh, okay. You have you know? two options. Okay. Yeah, I have right. two options. But I, because I had an important meeting the next day, I decided to go to sleep. Okay. <laughs> but what happened subsequent to that was that a lot of thoughts and the planning and the strategies. What happened uh, as the day progressed was things fell into place mm-hmm. quite nicely for me. Mm-hmm. The question here is, is that a right meditation or good meditation? Which part? Well, the part about choosing to go to sleep and not to go to sleep, but I don't well, know how things... Go- going uh, to sleep is not meditation. <laughs> The choice at that time. Okay, okay. You have to make your own decision. It's a decision that you have to make for yourself. I can't say for sure because only you know what's the situation really like. You have to use your own wisdom to decide, your own discretion. Yeah. And if you were to try to investigate too much and the next day you are like that, then <laughs> things may not turn out so well. Yeah. You have to make your own decision. Sometimes you might find that the decision is very clear. It's a no. It's like you don't have to think so much, right? Sometimes decision comes out from wisdom. It does not require a lot of thinking and it's very decisive. Whereas the decision that comes out of a lot of defilements is like, "Mm -hmm, I don't know what to do. Morning Mondays, just something crossed my mind when I read the three lines. Mm -hmm. Let go of the past, let go of the future, let go of the present. That's very interesting. Well, there it says cut loose. Because one part of meditation is teaching us to be mindful of presence. Mm. But then when I see this lack of presence, I think it's nothing to do with time. It's something like, am I right? Whatever sensation we have, we just let it go. If you look at the time perspective, right? when you let go of presence, is it maybe the fourth Vimana? That is the time we are talking about. Thank you. Okay. Letting go is not trying to get rid of something. This is one point I want to make. Letting go is not getting rid of something. Some people think that, oh, let go of your thinking. Let go means the thinking must go away. No. Let go is just this. If it's still here, it's still okay. Let go is about not grasping. This is grasping. This is letting go. But this thing is still here. And it's okay. Because when it's here, and I'm not grasping on it, I'm not tired. Okay? And it's not a problem, it's something that I can use to understand, to investigate. So that is important. So when you're talking about letting go of the past and the future, letting go of the present, it's talking about the idea of time. So when you sit down thinking, I'm going to sit for one hour, have you let go of time? No. What my teacher would say, when you think of something to sit for so long, what you have is time stress. So. When you meditate, when really, really meditating, you don't think about what happened, you don't think about what's going to happen. You just notice what's happening. And what you notice presently that's happening, you also don't grasp. Actually, you can't let go of the past. You can't grasp on the past, you can't grasp on the future, you can't grasp on the present. Actually, you can't. You can only grasp on the ideas about these things. Actually, the past is gone. It doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't exist as memories in our mind. In other words, it doesn't exist. What exists is just ideas which we grasp on. It's okay. It's there. It's fine. Just don't grab on it. Then, if you're meditating without grasping, meditation is so much more peaceful, so much easier. Because there's nothing to do to manipulate, to make things this way and that way and that way. It can be a whole lot more simpler. Is that all? 
Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu.